Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We'll be in verses 24 to 29 as we look at the only sure foundation for our lives. I'll begin reading in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This morning, as we're working through this passage, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation for life. He's the only good foundation for your life as a person, and he's the only sure foundation for our life as a congregation. But this morning, I thought uh, we would appropriately enough, at least appropriately enough here for Charleston, we'd start at the beach. Now, this time of year, and maybe on a day like today, it doesn't seem like the beach is that close, but it really is pretty close to us here. Uh, You can go there almost any time you want, and various people have, you know, things they like to do at the beach. Now, I got to admit, this isn't one of my favorite pastimes, because anything I can do to stay out of kind of the wet, gritty sand, I do. But some people love going to the beach and building sandcastles. Now, this is certainly better than any sandcastle I have ever built. Uh, you know, sand ca- I mean, obviously, it's just kind of molded to the shape of, of the bucket here. And we don't have any fancy buckets like this. So a bucket sandcastle, that's about as good as I can do, you know, maybe with a moat around it. But some people really get into sandcastles, and they can really take it to the next level. Sort of like ice sculptures, you know, they're sandcastle uh, sculptures. And some of them almost look like cities or even castles. Well, all of these are well beyond my capability but the, the question we're going to look at this morning is essentially this. Uh, is the life that you're building one that looks more like a sandcastle that when the tide comes in, it'll be washed away, or something permanent, something that will last, maybe even last eternally? And really, the question is, are we playing at the life that we are building? In other words, if, if we approach Jesus as a, a convenient ticket or I don't know, sort of a hobby or something that, that when it's convenient, we embrace it. You know, we kind of pay our Sunday morning tax to Jesus. But in terms of a whole life, a life that looks like discipleship, a life that looks like forsaking all to the, for the sake of following Jesus, when it comes to that, the question is, what are you building your life on? What is the foundation of your life? Are you pursuing a serious personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, we look at this passage kind of in terms of contrast, you know, wise, foolish, rock, sand, but I want us to consider first this morning what the similarities in these houses that Jesus is talking about here. And the houses actually look alike. In fact, when the weather is good, both look good. In January 2016 in the state of Connecticut, Sandra Miller was at work one day and she got a call from her daughter, and her daughter is saying the house sounds like it's literally going to fall apart. It was making loud, just giant cracking noises. And it was, it was disturbing. She's sitting there in the kitchen, and they're just like loud popping, loud cracking noises. So they called a structural engineer to come out and get him to look at the foundation of their house. And he told her what he had told hundreds of other people living in this area, and that is that their house literally was falling apart. 
was built on a foundation. This is 2016. So there was a, a quarry in Connecticut that for 30 plus years uh, made concrete that basically was faulty. And so more than 20,000 people are suing to try to get something back out of their houses. Their houses are essentially worthless because the concrete that their house is built on is literally crumbling, crumbling to pieces after these decades. There was a chemical in there that made the, the, the concrete faulty. Well, the homes with bad, bad foundations look just like any other homes in those neighborhoods. If you, if you drive up and you look at the house, you can't tell by looking at the house what the foundation is. Well, when the wise man bids, builds his house and the foolish man builds his house, they look pretty much the same in terms of curb appeal. And this is because both of them know, or the way Jesus says it here, they both hear Jesus' words. Verse 24, he talks about both groups. In verse 24, he says, the wise man hears these words of mine. In verse 26, the foolish man hears these words of mine. So these people have a similar history. In other words, they hear God's word and at some level have a response to it. They construct a house, or as the metaphor for us would go, a life that looks like any good Christian around them. So we often associate Christianity with a set of outward behaviors. And it's not that our external life doesn't matter at all. It does at some level. But our external appearance, the way we live, what other people can see isn't really the core of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it doesn't matter as much as what's going on at the core or in this metaphor, this picture. It's, it doesn't matter in the same way that the foundation matters. In other words, if, if following Jesus looks to you like a, a certain set of behaviors or a certain list of expectations or, or a, a certain list of things that you do, and that's what following Jesus looks like, then it's likely that you don't understand kind of the necessity of the foundation. In other words, you're building your life on something that, that can crumble. You see, following Jesus in its purest essence isn't who we are on the outside. It's something that God builds in our hearts. It is who we are on the inside. In other words, Christianity, true Christianity, isn't a relationship of outside-in. It's a relationship inside out. It works heart out. From the heart flow the issues of your life. God makes you a new creation, and from this new creation flow a set of behaviors. It's not a set of behaviors that, that kind of change your heart. It, the flow is the opposite. Well, the tendency to think about our outward appearance and our relationship with God is, is nothing new. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, a prophet named Samuel is told by God to anoint a new king for Israel, and he goes to a man named Jesse's house. Now, Jesse's a good candidate because he has a bunch of sons. We meet eight of them in this passage. But Samuel shows up, and he sees the oldest son. He says, man, that dude's good looking. He's strong. He's tall. He'll probably make a mighty king. And God says, no, not that one. He's like, okay, I'll find And he goes to the second one, and he goes through seven different sons, all of whom are kind of tall, strapping, strong, and they look like they make good candidates for leaders. And God says, it's no, it's, it's none of these people. It's this eighth one. It's, it's the boy. It's David. He's out in the field. Now, David would become the greatest king or the most famous king in the history of Israel in the Old Testament. But David wasn't outwardly remarkable on this day. In fact, God told Samuel, you see, the point is that you look and you can see the external. You can see the outward appearance. But when I look, I see this person's heart. God's word reveals to us that David's heart, the key to his heart, was that he was a man after God's own heart. You see, the essence of our relationship with the Lord is a heart that humbly 
trusts him. Not a life that's cleaned up, not a set of behaviors that looks a particular way, but a heart that humbly relies on God. So the wise man hears Jesus' words. The foolish man hears those words too. They both look good in good weather. But the thing that reveals the differences in these two houses is the storms of life because the foundations are different. Now, these differences aren't immediately obvious to the naked eye. They're not something that you can walk up and see. Rather, circumstances reveal their differences. Storms of life reveal the differences in these two houses. Well, if there's any culture that can understand the kind of storms that Jesus describes here, it's Charleston, isn't it? I mean, a storm where the winds come, the rain and wind beats against the house. So Jesus describes a period of terrible weather where floods come, Waters rise to flood levels, and the elements beat against the house. And when he says beat against, the language is like strike, striking someone, something with force. It's like you're in the house, and you can hear the elements beating against your house. This is a serious storm. Now, for some of you, I mean, your minds are already there. You're living in 1989 right now. Because in Charleston, you know, we measure life pre-Hugo and post-Hugo. I mean, I was an eight-year-old boy living in the upstate, not even on the coast, and I can remember being in my house, I can still remember today, being in our living room and, and watching the storm out the front window and seeing a pretty good-sized tree in our front yard that would eventually be taken down by this storm. Since moving here, I've met a number of people, some people that say, look, I don't care, I don't care what the prediction is uh, for, the, for the weather that's coming, I get out of here because I stayed for Hugo and I ain't ever staying again. I mean, you know what storms like this are like. Well, that includes this kind of storm, you know, includes the lives that we live. You see, storms reveal to us both the power of our creator, the one who made the storm, but they also reveal to us the quality of our buildings, don't they? They reveal to us something about the foundation, something about uh, the, the level of our house, we're talking about differences here, but I also, before we kind of move more into the differences, I want to quickly note another similarity. You see, both houses experience the same set of circumstances. To kind of continue in our picture here, both experience Hugo. One stands and one falls. When my dad died in 2005, nine kids lost a dad. They all experienced the same circumstance. I was 24. My youngest sibling was five. A set of teenage brothers somewhere there in the middle. We all experienced the same circumstance, the loss of a father. But that storm hit us all in a different way. In other words, we were all prepared differently to meet that moment. You know, you're a five-year-old little girl standing by uh, your dad's dead body in a hospital room. You experienced that differently than a 24-year-old grown man. It, it, was a, it was a grieving moment, but I was mostly a foreign person. I'd come to know my dad as a friend. She remembers my dad mostly through the memories of her siblings because her time with him was relatively short. You see, the storms come to every one of us, but they come to us often based on where we are in our lives, what our foundation is, both in terms of our faith as well as just like the practical nature of our lives. But storms will come to every one of us. It's not a question of whether you will experience difficulty in life. 
It's not a question of whether you will experience hardship. The question is whether you have a foundation that will allow you to survive that storm. The storms are coming for every one of us. The question isn't, you know, do you get a storm or do you not? The question is what happens to you when that storm comes your way? Do you have a life? Do you have a a, a set of faith, a set of core beliefs that, that allows you to survive this storm? Or when it comes, will it wipe your faith out? Will it wipe you out? Will it take what you love? Abraham Lincoln was writing to one of many little girls who lost her father in the Civil War, and he said, in this sad world of ours, sorrow comes to all. And to the young, it comes with the bitterest agony because it takes them unawares. The older have learned to ever expect it. You see, when you're young, you can kind of live with the naivety that life isn't that hard, but as you grow older, you realize it's hard for everyone. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're young, old, rich, poor. Life is hard. And it brings with it a set of circumstances. Everyone's battle is a little bit different. The circumstances in your life are different than the circumstances in mine. But one thing that unites us all is it's hard. It's hard to live life in a fallen, broken world. It's hard to live life in a world where the, where the laws of thermodynamics tell us things are getting worse. They are, they're breaking. Not, they don't fix themselves. I found myself driving my car this week wondering, you know, when is something going to break on it? Nothing's even broken on it yet. But like, that's just the way life works. You don't, they, they don't get better by themselves. It, it takes work. It takes effort. Well, some of us have been long, around long enough to be hardened by those experiences. You see, sorrow has a way of affecting us, not just in terms of telling us what our foundation is, but it also reveals to us kind of the nature of our heart. And we all respond to hurt in different ways. Sometimes we respond to it by grieving with others, but sometimes we respond to it by claiming up, sort of kind of walling ourselves off from the world and, and building this, this shell that allows us to survive externally at some level. Maybe you lost a, a loved one unexpectedly. Or maybe you watched someone that you love just kind of waste away. It wasn't unexpected, but it was harder because you saw it happening over a period of time and the mom or dad or the spouse that you loved, they, they weren't even themselves at the end. Or maybe worse than that, worse than death itself, you know, your spouse left you. I mean, you'd rather have experienced loss of a husband or wife through death than to lose someone that way, to lose, to feel that rejection. And now you walk in, you feel rejected by the person that supposedly loved you more than anyone else, and now you feel rejected by everyone, whether they're rejecting you or not, because there is this wound in your heart. Or maybe you're older and you've, you know what it is to lose a child and there is a hole in your heart that you know will never be filled in this life. Or you're not even to the point where you, you know that, but you know this. You're growing older in school and you, know, you get to kindergarten and you learn it's a cruel world. You, know, you don't take the right thing for lunch or wear the right thing. You get a little older and the middle school piranha are bigger, you know, so they take bigger bites out of you. Life in this world is hard, it's cruel. And there's no question that when the storms of life come, like a storm that attacks your house, you know, shingles will fly off, some paint will chip, some windows will break. But ultimately, though, the storms of life will reveal to us our foundation. What matters the most in that moment is what our life is built on. It's a bit old now, but I couldn't help but remember the words to this song this week. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away that you would have stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen. I'm praying for you to intervene, and it is still raining. God is still pouring down as the thunder rolls. I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I'm with you. 
And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. The storms will come. And God will be with us in our storm, but the storms of life reveal the nature of our foundation. In other words, what have we built our lives on? And we see a significant difference here. Only one of these people, only one house, obeys Jesus' words. Ultimately, the difference here is something you can't see. It's the foundation. You can't see the foundation in the foolish man's house, but it's different. And this is the way that Jesus puts it. The wise man not only hears Jesus' words, he also acts on them. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Again, we kind of get into a similar question. We had this question last week. Is Jesus saying that those who obey, who do enough, are justified in God's sight? Well, last week we looked at James 2 to kind of understand this. And today, James chapter 1 is going to help us out. James says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. It's like getting up looking like you look terrible and walking out the house and forgetting what kind of person you look like. You don't do anything about it. He looks at himself and forgets what he is like. When God's word is clear, the only way to be pleasing in the eyes of God is to come to him through faith in Jesus. But what they're doing is it demonstrates whether we have that faith in the first place. Or Paul uses kind of similar language but helps us understand in Galatians 5. There's a fruit of a life that doesn't know Jesus. He says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. He, he, he goes on. This is what it looks like to not know Jesus. Then he says the fruit of a life that does know Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But he doesn't say that this kind of life earns God's favor. Rather, he says, because you belong to, have, belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, belonging to Jesus comes first and the good fruit comes second. Belonging to Christ produces fruit that looks like love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, etc., in other words, building our life on Jesus, on, on his finished work, is our only hope. Because he lived a perfect life in our place and died a sacrificial death so that everyone who believes in him might have life. Every other religion in the world says something along the lines of this. They say it differently, but they all say something like this. Obey God enough and he will be pleased with you. Obey God enough and maybe he'll be pleased with you. Christianity flips the flow and says this, because of Jesus, God is pleased with you. Therefore, live a life that looks like Jesus. And if you get the, if you get the order wrong, you get your foundation all messed up. It's like mixing a chemical into the concrete that will, that will crumble. Obeying God doesn't please God in the same sense that Jesus' finished work pleases God. But it does produce in us a life that wants to look like Jesus. It's, a, it's like a kid that wants to serve mom and dad. Not to make him his mom and dad, but because they are mom and dad. And when we have a heavenly father, we live a life, a flow of life that looks like God is our father. Because God is pleased with you through his son Jesus, therefore obey. Well, perhaps you're here this morning... And you don't want to submit your life to God because you know better than anyone else how dirty you are. And at one level, there's a part of you, you never measured up to mom and dad, 
you know you can't measure up to Jesus. But the beauty of life with Jesus is that the only people qualified are those who know they are utterly unqualified. It's not people who clean themselves up. It's not, it's not people who, who, who kind of achieve a status of obedience and a status of goodness. It's people who admit how bad they are. It's not a matter of getting yourself cleaned up. It's a matter of coming to God just as you are, broken, to be mended, wounded, to be healed, desperate to be rescued, empty to be filled, guilted to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, not by an effort to clean yourself up. That kind of effort is just bad cement. It's just bad concrete. It will crumble. So would you turn from your sin? Would you turn from your self-help? Would you turn from your own efforts to clean yourself up and trust Jesus today? He, he will welcome anyone who comes to him. and He'll welcome them with open arms. This brings us what happens to what happens to these houses in the end. Ultimately, these houses meet a different fates in verses 25 and 27. Verse 25 says the house on the rock stands and the house on the sand, verse 27, falls, he says, in a spectacular way. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he asks them, hey, who do people say that I am? They kind of give him some answers and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says to him, I tell you that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the Father himself. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When he makes this statement to Peter, on this rock, it's the same word that Jesus talks about here, the wise man building his house on the rock, the Petra. It's not just a band name, it's, 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 it's a name, it's, it's a rock. It's the same word that describes the, this man's foundation. You see, those who build their lives on the Jesus revealed in God's word have built their lives on something so sure that hell itself cannot cause that foundation to crumble. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Or as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, the storms will come. You'll be tempted. You'll be tried, and sometimes you will fail. Life will be hard. Sometimes it'll be hard because you're following Jesus, but he is a sure foundation. That foundation will never fail. He is worthy of your trust. But there's a question here. I mean, who would choose a foundation of sand that can crumble when you can choose a rock? I was thinking about this this week, and as many of you know, in a former life, I uh, did a lot of landscaping, including building retaining walls. Well, when you build a retaining wall, you have to lay a foundation that is level. Like the, the, the whole, like to, to, I've never built a house and a foundation up, but I have built wall, these walls. And the point is, if you, get, if you get the bottom layer, the foundation level, then you can build the rest, right? But if you mess up that foundation, then, that, then the whole wall, it just doesn't work. You've got to start over again. Well, what substance do I use to make sure it's level? I'll buy sand. And I lay in sand along that bottom row because sand is easy to work with. In other words, like, you can move sand around with your hands. You can't crumble a rock with your hands. I mean, you can't crumble a rock with a hammer. At some level, I mean, sand is simpler to work with. It's, it's an easier way to do this. And so if you're looking and you've got to, like, you know, blast rock or move sand with your hands, sand's a lot easier. I mean, it's just, like, it's just an easier choice. Molding rock just doesn't work the same way. And I think there's something in us that finds it easier to believe, simpler to believe, 
that we can clean ourselves up, kind of justify or save ourselves, so to speak, rather than admit that we cannot, rather than admit that we're helpless. I mean, uh, there's a part of the American dream that says, you know, if you're an independent self-starter, I mean, you're the kind of person who succeeds in life. You're the kind of person who makes it. I mean, that's the whole point of the dream. The dream isn't like, you're terrible, you can't make it. The dream is, you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. And there's a part of us that finds it hard to admit that we cannot. There is something that we can't do. Maybe you can do a lot of things, but one thing you cannot do is justify yourself in the sight of God. It is hard to humble ourselves. It is hard to admit that we're helpless. Maybe you're like, no, that's not that big of a deal. Well, imagine this. Imagine that maybe someone you live with, you do something stupid, and you know it was stupid. And it comes time, like, I don't know, like you can, you can cut the tension with a knife, it's a little frigid in the room, there's some tension. And it's time to like, okay, figure out how we resolve this. In that moment, what does your pride make the hardest words to say? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? What's easy to say? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? What is incredibly hard to say? I was wrong. You see, it's simple, but our pride makes it difficult. Now, imagine that that person isn't someone that you love. Imagine that that person is someone who will rub your nose in it the moment you admit that you're wrong. I mean, it gets hard, doesn't it? I mean, so, so what we're battling here isn't, isn't the difficulty of the act. It's the pride in our hearts. But God says that he gives grace to the humble. What happens to proud people? He resists them. You see, the gospel message is admitting that you're wrong. It's admitting that you can't. It's admitting that you're broken, wounded, you're desperate and helpless. Your best effort can never save you. You need someone else. You need a champion. You need a king. You need a rescuer. You need a savior who can do this for you. And that's the kind of comment that Matthew closes with here. He tells us that Jesus is the king, verse 28, when as Jesus finished, the crowds were astonished. They weren't astonished because of the brilliance of Jesus' teaching. They were astonished, he tells us, at the authority in Jesus' teaching. The idea that Jesus has the right to tell them what to do. That he preaches on his own authority. Like this morning when I come to you, I reference something. It's called the Word of God, and, and I reference that because I don't have any inherent authority. I don't have the right to just declare to you. But Jesus came as the king, and he said, I say to you, you have heard that it was said, I say to you. He declares to them with authority that he has the right to rule their lives. Jesus is different. He teaches with authority because he is not just a prophet. He is the king. You see, to trust Jesus is to submit to his lordship. To follow Jesus is to recognize that he is king and we are merely subjects. And as we close this morning, would you consider this question? Have you humbly submitted your life to Jesus as your king? And does your life look like someone who is submitted to Jesus, the king? So let's take a moment now and respond to God's word and repentance and faith. I'll give you a moment to talk with God in your seat personally, and then I'll close this time in prayer.
God, we thank you for Jesus the King, the one who humbled himself, took on him human form and died in our place. God, I pray that you will help us live lives that humbly look like Jesus. God, to build our lives on a sure foundation that no one can shake. I pray for those here, God, who your spirit is working on this morning, that like a hammer, your word would break the heart of stone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a moment now to respond to the word. We're going to respond by singing, but also if there are ways that uh, God is working in your heart in particular, we would love to uh, talk with you, to pray with you, or if there's any way that we can serve you. Uh, There's nothing that makes us happier than talking to people about Jesus. So if we can do that this morning, we'd love to do that. Or if uh, the Lord is leading you to become, uh, consider becoming a part of this church through membership or following the Lord in baptism, uh, anything that we can. I'll be here at the front, uh, but also available throughout the week if that's something uh, that you would love to talk more about. Let's stand. We'll sing together just as I am.